2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 is where we'll be um, this morning. Uh, when I was 19 years old, that's when I preached my very first sermon. And I got the opportunity to preach at my old school that I attended. It was a Christian school, and I graduated, and they invited me to come back to speak. And that was the first full message I had preached. I'd done some evangelistic type messages and done some small group type stuff before then. But the first message I preached was at my old school. It was about two to 300 students and I was invited. So I worked really hard on it, meaning I spent eight hours on the message. And then like eight hours is like, oh my gosh, that's like a whole work day I spent on the message. And of course, now I spend way more than eight hours every week on my message. But then, you know, 19, eight hours is like, oh. And um, I got up in front of everybody, two to 300 students, and I'm speaking. And, you know, things were flowing well. I'd worked hard on it. I had a bunch of different scriptures that I backed up my main point. And um, I got incredible feedback. It was super encouraging, great response. People came up to me. Now, it's ironic that I did because I would hate to hear it now. I'm pretty sure all my notes were on a yellow, like, piece of paper and I think I quoted Mother Teresa somewhere in there, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm super embarrassed by it, but it was one of the things that God did in my life where uh, I was, it was to encourage me to continue, and so uh, I, I was kind of puffed up, like, okay, I can, I can preach now, right? And I remember not long, shortly after that, I got invited to go speak somewhere, and it was a kind of a youth lock-in um, thing, and I was like, well, I can preach already. I'll just come up with another message. The other one came so easily, did it in eight hours. I'll just spend like two hours on this one. And uh, hopefully you are concerned right now. Um, And I got up and I was thinking, okay, I'm going to knock this one out of the park like I did the other one. So I like, I invited a girl that I was trying to impress to come. Uh, I told her it was like a youth conference or student conference when it was just like a youth lock-in of like 30 students or something like that with a horrible grunge band. Um, and so I got up and I started to talk and like right away I could tell this is not going well. Uh, nothing I said flowed together and it was kind of one of those things where I just got like real red face and uncomfortable and everybody else was uncomfortable. So I just prayed and ended it. Like no joke. Didn't, didn't even finish the message. I was like, let's just pray. You know, I did like that real spiritual ending. Um, and so so bad. I remember getting in the car with that girl I was trying to impress, and I was like, you know, didn't ask her, even, didn't even ask her what she thinks. She says, well, I can really tell you tried. And uh, that was just like, oh, like this could not. And so what I learned that day, um, and what I, is something I continue to learn every week, is preaching the word of God is not easy. Um, it's actually very, very difficult if you want to do it in a way that I believe honors the Lord. And when I talk about that, I'm not saying that, I'm not talking about it from a homiletical aspect or getting in front of people and talking and using rhetoric and using creative. That's that part anyone can really do. But I'm talking about it in a way that there's actually a a spiritual battle um, that takes place as a result of preaching God's word. And that's what makes it really challenging. Uh, This is why the Apostle Paul, when he talks about it, and no one knew this better than Paul, of the spiritual battle, the spiritual warfare that takes place as a result of preaching God's word. Uh, This is why Paul says it in Ephesians 6, verse 12, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And he knew of this battle that 
you would, as you proclaim the word of God, it's difficult. It's not easy. And so since Paul experienced this, he wants Timothy to know what's at stake. And so at the end of chapter 3 of First Second Timothy, he begins to unpack to young Timothy, this young pastor, what really matters. What really matters is this. We said this last week of it's about discipling other people and about proclaiming the word of God. And every church should do that because that's the essential things that make up what the body of Christ should do. But then in chapter 4, what, Timothy, what Paul is going to do with Timothy is he's going to talk about the kind of mentality that that requires. What kind of mentality must a man of God uh, who proclaims the word of God uh, have? And so what he does in, in chapter 4 is he begins to talk through this mentality. And so this is the big idea that we have this morning. What is the right mentality that we must have if we want to rightly proclaim the word of God? And what is the right mentality that we must have as the people of God to hear God's word? And that's what we're going to see this morning in this text. 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'll start in verse 1. He says this to Timothy. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. And so here's what you have Timothy saying we should preach the word. What does it mean to preach the word? It means literally to herald or to proclaim publicly. And this is something that we see that Paul has been very consistent in talking about to this young pastor. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, for instance, he says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 13, he says, hold fast to the pattern of sound words. Chapter 2, verse 2, he says, the things that you have heard from among many witnesses, commit these things to faithful men. Chapter 2, verse 15, he tells Timothy to rightly handle the word of truth. Chapter 2, verse 24, he tells Timothy, a servant of the Lord must be able to teach. Chapter 3, verse 16, he tells him that, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And Timothy, Paul is telling Timothy to hold fast to the word, preach the word, have sound doctrine. You must be able to teach this in order to, to grow as a healthy leader and to grow a healthy church. And so when Paul writes this, he's actually referring to the Old Testament. But what we, the way we read it today is we see that all Scripture is inspired by God. We see that it's, for us, it's the old and the new that we are responsible for. And so here at Integrity, we have a desire, a strong desire to be a church that rightly proclaims the Word of God. And so you hear that, and hopefully you hear that at every church, right? I mean, you hear that at some churches, and they say, you know, uh, man, we rightly handle the word of God. And every, every church should say that. And I, quite frankly, every church that I've ever been a part of has said that. It's not like you ever go to a church that says, yeah, we really don't teach the word here. I mean, if that happens, you definitely need to leave, right? And so what does it mean, though, that we preach the word? I mean, because I think there is a distinction. I remember uh, being in this, I've been in this community now for several years. And I remember early when I moved here and we planted the church and we began to plant, um, lot, you know, a lot of visitors going through. 
And I remember uh, this one particular person they visited, and I, I later saw them. They, they were uh, a few months later, and they said, when we had visited a bunch of places, and they ran into me and said, you're the guy at Integrity. You're the pastor of Integrity, and uh, you're the church that preaches the Bible. And I remember thinking, oh, no. Like, it, shouldn't every church preach the Bible, right? Oh, my gosh. Really? Shouldn't every church preach the Bible? Yeah. All right, good. So, but, so what is this distinction? Because, I mean, every church I've ever been a part of, they say, we really preach the word here. So what is the distinction? Well, for me, I remember growing up in churches. I've been a part of several churches. And I remember even as a little kid, I'd hear the pastor say, you know, here's where we preach the word. But then when it got to the sermon time, we'd say, okay, we're going to be in Isaiah, whatever, and we're going to turn there, and he reads the passage. Then after he reads the passage, this happens. And then what happens next is colorful analogies, stories, little boy on his red wagon on Christmas Day, and this is why we ended up, Jesus is the reason for the season, poem at the end, some Garth Brook lyrics, and then we pray, and then we're done, right? And that's it and we're done and you don't leave with the word of god in your heart and your soul and your mind and saturated to live for him you leave with man that guy's funny or that was a great illustration or what a wonderful lovely poem by walt whitman right and so that's the problem with that is it's not really preaching the word because the word is not on the forefront of your mind or you have the situation where, okay, this morning we're going to talk about giving. We need to give. Why do we need to give? Well, here's giving. It's G. G is we get to give because giving is great. I, we need to give because I need to give. V, it's very good to give. And then you just go on and on. And then here's a reference that works with G. Here's another scripture reference that works with I. Here's another one that works with V. And it goes on and on and on and on. And you've got a billion scripture references. And you need to leave with a colorful analogy or acrostic of giving and why you need to give. And here's a billion scriptures to go. So you leave with a trillion scriptures that are all taken out of context and a colorful example of giving. But you don't leave saturated with the word of God. And this is, for these reasons, my fear is that many Christians do not know how to read the Bible. And they don't know how to read the Bible in context. I mean, when do we ever approach any other book that way? I mean, it's not like when you pick up Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, you start going, well, I want to learn about faith today. So I'm going to look at the word faith in every single place that it's mentioned. I'm going to find it, and then I'll have a... No, you read it chapter by chapter, story by story, right? And so this is why, you know, integrity, we want to be able to preach in such a way where we take a book of the Bible, we work through it so that you walk away knowing the context, and you walk away knowing what the author originally intended for that group of people, that intention is still true for us today in 2015 in America. And that's the beauty of the Word of God. That means when I get up and preach on Sunday morning, I want to be able to preach in such a way that if the Apostle Paul was able to come back to life and to sit in this room He would be able to say, amen, that is exactly what I was trying to say to Timothy over 2,000 years ago. 
And what is true for Timothy and the people in Ephesus is true for Integrity Church today. And that's what I want us to see. I want us to leave with that intent of the author because, by the way, that is what God has inspired for us to know and to leave with. And so this takes time. It takes work. It takes effort. That's why oftentimes I don't just preach my sermons in isolation. I try to preach them go through them with our other elders, and we begin to talk about, and the staff team talk about what this word means, and how, what is Paul trying to communicate here, and how can this apply to people at Integrity Church now, 2,000 years later? Because I want people to understand the context. I want people to know what the original author intended, because what that intention was is so true for us here today. Not only that, but we also want you to see that this book is gospel-centered. It's about Jesus. The same for this reason, Timothy, Paul says this to Timothy in chapter 3, verse 14. He says, it's the sacred writings that are able to make you wise through salvation and faith in Christ Jesus. This book helps us to see the beauty of Christ more when it's seen in its original context. And so the original context, we want to make sure that we preach this with clarity. We preach it verse by verse so that you can see and you can walk away remembering the context. Growing up for me, I've memorized a lot of scripture in the King James Bible and the NIV. And so oftentimes, like when I read up here, I I misquote scripture a lot because I'm reading it in the ESV and I remembered it in the King James or the NIV. So I'm all messed up, right? But what I often don't remember is the context of the scriptures that I've memorized. So I would say it's great to memorize scripture, but make sure you're not taking it out of context. Make sure you know and live out of the context. And we also here believe we want to do that because we believe that God's word is to make you wise through faith in Christ, to help you cherish the gospel more and to live for Christ more. Therefore, We want to make sure that you look at Scripture through the lenses of the gospel, that you look at the Old Testament through the lenses of the New Testament, because all that Christ has done, his provision and his his love and his grace has been lavished upon us. That changes everything. And so we want to challenge you every week to love Christ more and that you would glorify him. That way, every week you're reminded of the good news of the gospel and you get to see the con- connection between what we're, being teaching, what we're being taught and what Christ has done in our place. That way, when you leave here this morning, when you leave here every morning, we don't want to give you a list of things to do better. Rather, we want to leave you with you challenged to live in light of the truth of the gospel. And so this book, it must be taught in context. It must be Christ-centered. So this is what I believe that Paul means when he says, preach the word. Preach it the way that it was intended to be proclaimed. But then he says something else that's really interesting. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is able to judge the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his kingdom. This verse, it haunts me and it encourages me. Because this is why. Because Paul is reminding Timothy. Timothy, when you preach, don't forget who is actually listening. This is who is listening. 
It is Christ. It is the true judge. It is the one who will soon return. It is the one who died on, in our place and rose from the grave and conquered the penalty of Satan's sin and death, and he will return for his people. This is the one that you aim to please when you are proclaiming God's word. But what, it, what haunts me and encourages me is this. That no sermon goes unnoticed. That means every week I get up and preach. And I'll be honest with you. By Wednesday, I often forget what I just talked about. So like some of you might come up and say, man, that was really helpful. That thing about, you know, the cross. I never thought about it that way. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, have, I cannot remember, okay? I'm thinking about the next one that I've got coming up. And you might say, oh, man, such and such, that analogy you used. Oh, yeah, I used that last week. You know, I'm just remembering. So if I have trouble remembering, I know that you have trouble remembering, okay? And I'm not even mad at you, all right? It's just the truth. If I have trouble remembering it, I know that it's, you've got to work hard to remember this thing. And it, I've heard somewhere it takes... I think it takes a pastor 12 times to say something until people actually get what's being said. That's like, sometimes I'll say something a million times. We bring in a guest speaker once. He says it one time. Everybody's like, I never thought about that before. I'm like, are you kidding me? I've been saying that for years. Like, you know, I get all mad, right? But that's true. That's exactly what happens. It's hard to remember things. It's hard. Sometimes I can, sermons can go unnoticed. But Paul reminds Timothy, no sermon goes unnoticed. It is Christ that we must aim to please when we proclaim the gospel. So when I get up in front of you this morning, sometimes my aim is to make you like me. Sometimes my aim is to make you think that I'm funny or I'm smart or I'm whimsical. All these things, witty or whatever. I I want you to leave sometimes thankful for me. I'm sinful, okay? I messed up. You're probably the same way, so I'm just admitting it, okay? (laughs) But that's how screwed up I am. But here's this truth that we have in the text. What Paul says to Timothy haunts me because he's saying... Ben, your job is to please Christ. I remember when this came so true to me. Is the first time I really realized this was I remember um, out of high school, I went to the school in upstate New York where I've talked about quite a bit. And uh, I had an opportunity to do some open air preaching in inner city New York. And if you're not familiar with open air preaching, this is what it is. You basically stand on the street corner and you yell at people. And you hope that they follow Jesus as a result. I don't, I don't think it's a very good strategy, but that's what I did. I had to get up and I had to share. Yeah, I had to do like a, I had like a rope trick demonstration where I had to draw a crowd around me. And once we get a crowd around us, then we go over the one, two, threes and the ABCs of the gospel, the Romans road and all those things. So here I am on the streets of New York City and we're, we're trying to, and one of the things that I would often do is when I had a crowd around me, I would, I would have that interaction with people and I would thrive in that. But when it was like a small crowd, like the, you know, a crazy guy and like an old lady who's deaf, like I would get really worried. Like I was like, how am I going to do? And so I would just lose my confidence and kind of fall apart. And I remember this one guy on my team, he says, Ben, 
you seem to do better when you have a bigger crowd. I was like, yeah. He goes, well, you're doing it for the wrong reasons then. And he looked at me. He says, he, he pointed at me like this. He says, you have an audience of one. And he says, don't forget that. So when you preach this message, this is not your message, it's his message. So when you preach it, you proclaim it back to him. This is an act of worship that you have that before God when you pro- proclaim this. This is not for your hearers necessarily. This is to honor him. And this is true for all of us. I want you to see the, the haunting words that we have before us, but yet encouraging words that we have before us. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is able to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. It's about the audience of one. And this is true for you to proclaim the gospel wherever you go. It's for your hearers, yes, but more importantly, it's just being obedient to God to proclaim his word. And this is true for you, whether or not you are sharing the word with a believer or a non-believer, with a neighbor or with a friend or with a coworker or a roommate or a family member or whoever. You don't just share the word of God for converts or to make some wonderful biblical insight that someone didn't know. No, you share it because it pleases the Lord. You share it because it's actually an act of worship to proclaim the good news of Jesus and to proclaim the word of God and He's going to say next that we're called to do this when? All the time. Look in verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, what does it mean when he says, be ready in season and out of season. I remember going through Bible college and I thought this verse always applied to always have a message prepared in case the pastor gets sick. You can just walk up on stage and preach the message. Be ready in season and out of season. Always have a message ready. But that's not necessarily the case. And here's why. He explains it more. He says this word, rebuke. What does this word mean? It means the word of God, it calls out our sin. He says, it corrects, it causes us to repent and to turn the other way, to have a change of the will and a change of the mind and a change of the heart. That's what the word of God does. He says it's also to exhort, to encourage us, to build us up and presses us on to endure. He, he also echoes a lot of these things at the end of chapter three of what the inspired word of God is designed to do. But notice what he says when we do this. When we reprove, there it is, rebuke and exhort, we do it with what? Complete, what's the word? Patience and teaching. What does it mean to proclaim this word with patience and teaching? Here's what this means. Here's why this is important. It is not natural for you and I to submit our lives to God's authority. Here's why. We were born sinners. We were born at war with God because of our sin. And, but the cross of Christ, if you're a believer, has made us alive. If you've repented of your sins and you believe in the gospel, you are made alive and you are given a new heart that now loves God and strives and desires to please him. But you were not made that way. You were made that way because of Christ. You were made a new person. You were born again. But even though we have new hearts, 
it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It means that we still fight sin. We still fight the way that we used to be. And, and so in other words, submitting our lives to scripture can be at times very, very, very difficult. Very difficult. And that's difficult for all of us because all of us sin differently than, the re- than some of us. And, and that's why I struggle with James 3 when it talks about taming your tongue. Some of you don't struggle with that, but taming your tongue, James 3, I tried my best to get a guest speaker that Sunday. I don't want to deal with that. That's a hard one for me. That's difficult for me. But some of you might struggle with other places of sin in your life. Because scripture's calling you to, to be something that you, away from something that you used to be, the youthful passions of your flesh. He's calling you out of that. It's difficult, it's hard, it's challenging. Maybe something for you is God's character, that when you read the scriptures, you're dealing with the difficulties of God's character. Let me remind you this morning, you are not like God and God is not like you. So oftentimes we approach scripture with this mindset of, I know God's like this, now I'm going to read the Bible. And hopefully what the Bible does is it matches up with the way that I'm certain that God already is. Let me give you a spoiler alert. It's not that way. And there's this tension that we often face of, okay, I know that God should be this way, but his word says he's not that way. So, hmm, there's this weird tension Maybe he'll join my team one day, right? Maybe he'll come over to my side and he'll be like the way that I've created him in my mind. Let me tell you this. No. He's God. His ways are higher than ours ways. And so our ways. So our, our lives in us to submit not to the one that we've created in our mind, but the one that he really is, the way that he's presenting himself in scripture. And guess what? That too is also very, very, very Difficult because we're submitting our lives to the God who created us. And so this is why when Paul tells Timothy, he says, preach the word with patience in season and out of season. He's saying when it is popular and when it's not. By the way, if you've never read scripture and it hasn't bothered you, at some point where it's a sin or a character issue about God, you're not reading it. You're not reading it. Because at some point, that tension is going to exist. It's going to be difficult at times to follow what God says. And so he says, do it with patience. It takes time for us to grow. And so this is the mentality that Paul wants Timothy to have. Preach the word faithfully, young Timothy. Preach the word to, as an audience of one, young Timothy. Preach it, preach it with patience in season and out of season. Then what? Well, then everyone's just going to listen and follow, right? No. And that's why what he says next is so important to see. Verse three. For the time is coming when people will not endure Sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they'll turn away from listening to the truth and the wonder into myths. Now, what you see here 
is something that we see that is very true all around us in the world today. And this is why I think it's very important that we grow in discernment as people. We know what the word of God says. Because not everything in the Christian bookstore is good for you, all right? Not everything. And I mean, this is why I think it's so important to realize because in the last 20 years, you look at the last 20 years, I feel like every two to five, three to five years, someone dies and goes to heaven, comes back to earth, and they tell us about it. Here's the new revelation about God in heaven. You know, I saw this mansion over here. And, blah, 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 and it's like, and then, by the way, they also make millions of dollars on you when we give them that money, okay? And, like, look, I'm just waiting for the next one. Like, who else is going to die and go to heaven and come back and tell us about it and make a killing on us? I'm just waiting because it happens all the time. And so what happens, what people do is they begin to say, okay, here's the way that God is because a six-year-old told me. And they begin to base their life on that premise. This is how God is. This is how heaven is. No, we don't know what heaven is like. It's a mystery on purpose because he wants it to be a mystery. And so what ends up taking place is we end up basing our theology and our understanding of God and the gospel and and heaven based on new revelation rather than what God has already revealed. And that's where it gets really, really dangerous. I mean, right now, right now, if you look at the best seller in the Christian genre, what you'll find is a, a book that has sold over 15 million copies. And I can't tell you the name because Jesus isn't calling me to do that right now. Um, <laughs> but the writer of the book does this, all right? The writer of the book starts with this premise. I want to grow in my intimacy with God. And the Bible's great, but it just doesn't have enough. And so I'm going to get new, I've got conveniently got new revelations from God. And these new revelations that I've received from God are, they're right, right up there with scripture. So these are pretty good. You should probably listen to me. What happens? People listen to it in droves. Like, what's the new thing about God? How can I grow in my intimacy with him? This girl's got new revelations. Now I can grow with God. And you go, no, no, no. What happens when the premise is not there? The sufficiency of scripture to rely on scripture as exactly what it is is not there. And so what happens is people build on a premise that God has never intended. God has given us everything we need to know right here in his word, and his word is sufficient. And we should not be surprised when people try to take us away from the sufficiency of scripture because Paul says it's gonna happen. He says, itching ears. They'll accumulate teachers for their own pursuits and they'll fall into myths. They'll fall into folklore about who God really is. And so listen, there's nothing wrong with reading books other than the Bible, but don't build your faith on a false premise that has no biblical basis. And here's the thing. If we take Paul's words to be true, which hopefully we all do here this morning, it'll be more and more difficult to trust the sufficiency of God's word because conveniently we'll have a buffet of teachers who will gladly lead us down the path of going away from the sufficiency 
of God's word. And so Paul is telling Timothy, have this mentality to preach the word. You have an audience of one. Even when people don't like it, preach the word. Even when it's not popular, preach the word. Even when people don't think it's sufficient, preach the word. But then he goes into the way that we live our lives in light of the word of God being preached. And then he says this in verse five. He says, as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. This is what the word of God should lead us to. It should lead us to endurance. It should lead us to suffer well. It should lead us to have a faithful ministry, a purpose in life. It leads us to these things. Now, I tell you this because what I want you to see is there's nothing greater that you can build your life on other than scripture. It's the greatest foundation that you and I could possibly have. And this, I am certain. I'm certain because this is taught through Christ and all of the early church. This is why Jesus says to his disciples, I know my disciples because they abide in my word. So our chief responsibility of being believers is to abide in him. It's the foundation of everything that we do. That's how we endure suffering. That's how we're sober-minded. That's how we are faithful to proclaim the gospel. If you want to be a minister of the gospel, you're going to go preach to the people in your neighborhood or your, your co-workers or your whatever. You've got to be in the word. You've got to have the word of God saturating your life. We must have it as a foundation. So let me just leave you with this wonderful truth that we see in God's word. There's this place that I love. It's at the end of Luke, Luke 9. The end of Luke 9, where we see the disciples. And the disciples just witnessed Jesus perform this incredible miracle. Jesus fed 5,000 plus people with basically a little kid's snack pack. Like, how in the world does that happen, right? And so they're going, okay, this is Jesus. This is God. This is what he's going to do. And he's going to come and he's going to do all these miracles. And he's going to overthrow Rome. And we're going to have this, you know, he's going to be this king who is this powerful king. And no one's going to stand before him. And then Jesus follows up after that story. And he goes, no, actually, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. Like, that's a total buzzkill, right? You're going to die? And he goes, yeah, and actually, in order to follow me, you have to take up your cross and follow me. So they have these words of like, oh, distraught. So how do we know that you're God? How do we know that you're real and what Jesus does? About a week or so later, he takes three of his disciples, Peter, John, and James, and he takes them up on this mountain. And I love the way that Luke 9, the end of Luke 9, if you want to go back and read it later, it describes it's incredible. You see Jesus, they're praying. He's praying with these three disciples, Peter, James, and John. And as he's praying, Luke records that the glory of God begins to shine through Jesus in a way that his face was altered. That Luke describes it this way, that his clothes were dazzling white. Really interesting story. And it such a way that the glory of God was shine so much that it says Moses and Elijah showed up. 
And it was such a spectacular event because no man had ever seen God. But now the glory of God is being shined through Jesus in this spectacular way. And it was such an amazing story that the disciples, Peter, James, and John, they wanted to set up a tent for Moses and Elijah and Jesus so they could all hang out. They, they loved what they saw. And at the same time that they're asking this question, they heard a voice come from a cloud. It's the Father from heaven. And he says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. None of us in this room have ever seen a light that beautiful. None of us have ever seen a sight that amazing and that spectacular. None of us have a story or an experience like this one. No man has ever seen the glory shine through Christ in this way. Later on, you see Peter, the same man who witnessed this take place. He sees Jesus continue to do miracles. He sees Jesus suffer. He sees Jesus die. He sees Jesus resurrect. He sees Jesus ascend to heaven. But nothing was as spectacular as this sight because he saw the glory of God shine through Christ. And later, Peter, he reflects on this moment the same moment that he saw Jesus, and he reflects on it in Second Peter chapter 1. So if you turn there, you'll see this thing where that I think is really, really beautiful because it teaches us about the sufficiency of God's word. Greatest experience ever, Peter reflects on it. And he reflects on it to a group of people who are suffering, uh, people who are facing tremendous hardship and suffering and their lives are being threatened every single day for believing in the gospel. And the one thing that Peter does is he reminds them of the story, but then he takes them to another place to where they can find their hope. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, this is what Peter says. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths We made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we, talking about the disciples, were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he had seen honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice that was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from God. And we were with him on the holy mountain. And then this is what he says. This is the most amazing story, thing that he saw. And this is what he says about God's word. Verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy uh, of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but spoke from God as they were carried away along by the Holy Spirit. What does Paul say? I've seen the most spectacular event ever seen by man, the glory of God shining through Jesus Christ himself. But we can have confidence in that story, but we have a more sure word right here. Something that sustains us, 
helps us to endure suffering, helps us fight the good fight, helps us finish the race well, helps us to be better evangelists, to share the gospel, causes us to uh, rebukes us, to corrects us, and to uh, encourage us in Christ. It's right here. We have a more sure word than any experience that you and I could ever face. We have certainty here. We can build our life and our foundation right here. And so we have this mentality that we must have to preach the word. Preach the word because we have an audience of one. Preach the word even when it's not popular. Preach the word because it will sustain believers to the end. So we as a church have that responsibility, but we also have a responsibility to listen well because this word is sufficient. And as I look through this passage this week, all the reasons that Paul gives Timothy to preach the word are all the reasons why you and I should read it. So my encouragement and our challenge for all of us this morning is this, read the Bible. Read the Bible in context. Read the Bible to know Christ. Read the Bible with patience. Read the Bible when it's difficult. Read the Bible when it isn't popular. Read the Bible to fight sin. Read the Bible to be encouraged. Read the Bible to sharpen your mind. Read the Bible to heal your heart. Read the Bible to endure suffering. Read the Bible to do the work of an evangelist. Read the Bible because it leads you and I to live a life for the glory of Christ until the end. My encouragement this morning for us is as we we do our best to proclaim God's word and to preach the word, would we be people who listen well as we read his word? God help us. Let's pray. Jesus, 